0: Good morning. Good morning, ladies. I am so glad that you are here today. Welcome to Women in the Word. I want to say welcome um, to you as well, and I want to welcome those of you that are West Campus joining us. Thank you so much for being a part of this. I am Deb Haygood. I am part of the Women in the Word teaching team, along with Vanita Jones, uh, Misty Denman, Amy Foster, Shelley Davis, and Lynn Kitchens. And we have been praying a lot this summer over Genesis and studying hard, and we appreciate your prayers. And um, if you think of us, uh, pray for us. Um, It is quite a joy and an honor to be here with you this morning. I am so glad to see all of your faces out there. And I was wondering how many of you have been to Women in the Word before. You've been to Women in the Word sometime in the past. Okay, very good. How many of you were here last spring when we studied Psalms? All right, thanks for coming back, you guys. Okay, and that leads the rest of you. Raise your hand if this is your very first time ever to be at Women in the Word. Oh, goodness. Oh, my goodness, everywhere. Yes. Thank you so much for coming and being a part of this group. You know, it's always um, so much fun, the first day of Bible study. But there's so much information that you get, so much instruction. And maybe it seems kind of like a lot of rules that we give out. And some of you might be sitting there right now a little overwhelmed. In fact, you may be thinking, i got to get out of this place. This is just too much. So before you run out screaming, let me tell you this story. And it's a story about my granddaughter, Hallie. She's five years old, and she started kindergarten last week. And the week before that, she went to school for this assessment that they do. Now, she goes to school at a public school um, just north of Houston. And my daughter, Rachel, was telling me this story. And so she was a little nervous. She didn't say anything, but I could tell she was a little nervous about Hallie going to this assessment. And so she called me afterwards. Um, And the reason Hallie is she knows her letters and her numbers. She's a bright girl, but Hallie is a second-born. She has a brother, Dylan, who is in second grade, who always likes to give us the answers. You could ask him as a little boy, what color is this? And he would tell you what's this number, what's 2 plus 2, what's your letters. He was glad to give you the answers. Hallie, not so much. You might point to a letter and say, what letter is this? And she may tell you, or she may begin to tell you a story about something else or break into let it go by frozen you never know so my daughter was kind of a little um, nervous but she took Callie up there and she arrived at the appointed time there were five other kindergartners and they uh, went off with the teacher for the assessment and about twenty minutes later they come back walking down the hall and they all have a picture in their hand and they are lined up behind the teacher, one after another in a straight line. And then there's Hallie at the back. And she's a little bit off to the side, and she's lagging behind. And all of a sudden, she begins to skip and to twirl down the hall with her picture. And when she gets to her mom, she does a big twirl, and with a flourish, hands her picture. And my daughter quickly says, And mom, her picture was better than anyone's. My daughter is a firstborn, so she wanted to get this right. Anyway, I laughed, and I said, Hallie is going to be okay. She's going to do just fine in kindergarten. She may do it a little differently, but she's going to be okay. And I want you to know today, if you're feeling like we're lined up in a really straight line, and you feel like kind of skipping and twirling, that's okay. We want you to come to Bible study. We want you to be here. We need you here. If you wake up one day and you're late and you know you're not going to be on time, that's okay. Come on to Bible study. Come on late. And if you don't have your questions totally finished, that's okay. Come on to Bible study. We want you here. And let me say something um, about your homework questions. Those are for you. Those are for you. We write those questions for your benefit. We want you, as you study God's Word, as you study the Scriptures that we're looking at, we want you to have something to help you kind of go through it. And so those questions help you ask, as you're studying the Scripture, what is this saying? What is this saying? And what does God want us to want me to know about this? What does it mean? And then, how am I going to respond to what I learn? What is my response? You know, the Bible is not like any other book. The Bible has God as its author. The Bible is God's story. It's his story of love for mankind, for you, and for me. The Bible is God's revelation. God revealing to people just like you and me. Men and women uh, created in God's image. God wants us to know who, how he works and what's going on in this world that we find ourselves. And as God reveals all this, he draws us in by invitation and by command to be a part of this, to participate in his work. We're not outsiders, we're insiders, and we're to be a part of all that's going on. God establishing his love and his justice in the world today. That's why we study the Bible, to know God. When we know God, then we are drawn closer to him. We love him more. We're able to serve him better. We um, find that obeying him is easier. We want to know God. God's word becomes part of us, and it changes us. We want God's word to be so exciting for you this semester that you want to study it. That it's your desire to study it. That it brings you great pleasure and great joy when you study it. You know, the psalmist in Psalm 119 understood this. This is how he felt. And on your verse sheet, um, you'll always have an extra verse sheet. These are verses outside of what we're um, studying. Psalm 119, here's what he says in 111. Your testimonies are my heritage forever, for they are the joy of my heart. In 77, he says, for your law is my delight. And 103 says, how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. That is what we want you to feel like when you read God's word, that you are drawn to read it, not because you have to, not because you think that's what somebody says you should do, but because it is your great desire. It brings you pleasure and delight and joy. If you don't feel um, like that about the Word of God right now, it's my prayer that at the end of this semester, the Word of God will bring you great pleasure and great joy. This semester, we're going to look at the first 11 chapters of Genesis. And um, Genesis is a big book, and it really can be broken down into two parts. The first 11 chapters, they talk about the human race. And then chapters 12 through 50 to the end, we see that uh, the scope is kind of narrowed down and to the Hebrew race. And we see God select Abraham, and he begins to work through Abraham and his family and his descendants to carry out his plan and his program. Genesis is a great place to begin this Bible study, because Genesis is the first book of the Bible, it gives us the foundation we need to study the rest of the Bible. So before we start looking at Genesis today, I wanted to just kind of talk a little bit, a few minutes, um, about how the Bible is structured. Um, and if you've heard this before, just kind of, Think your own thoughts and doze off a minute But I think it's really important to see that the Bible is one book That it has structure to it It's not just a bunch of random books put together It's God's story all the way through And so bear with me um, as I go through this quick overview of the Bible And I've also given you a chart that you might want to keep That has the divisions and books of the Bible And so you might look at that as we go through, through this The Bible, we've already said, is the story of God's love for mankind. It's one book, but it's made up of 66 books, and they're written by 40 different authors. But every author um, is led by the Holy Spirit. So that's why we say God is the author of the Bible. And we read this in 2 Peter 1, on your verse sheet 20, says this, "'Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture "'comes from someone's own interpretation.'" For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And then in 2 Timothy 3.16, Paul tells us this. All scripture is breathed out by God. All scripture is breathed out by God. That's why we say the Bible originates with God. So we call it God's Word. It is God's truth. It is God's true story of love for each of us. It's God's story about the world and about mankind and about himself and how it all works together. The Bible is divided into two parts, the Old Testament and the New Testament. Old Testament has 39 books. The New Testament has 27 books the Old Testament is made up of three kinds of literature. uh, History, poetry, and prophecy. And on your chart there, you will see the first 17 books are history. And they're divided into two parts. The uh, first... Five books are called the Law. Sometimes you may hear it called the Pentateuch. Uh, We talked about that a little bit with Genesis. It uh, becomes the story of Abraham and his uh, descendants and family. And they become the nation Israel. And we see God working his plan through the nation Israel. And when Exodus opens up, they are in captivity in Egypt, and God sends Moses to deliver his people out of Egypt and take them to the land that he had promised Abraham. So Moses does this. They leave. They're in the wilderness, and God gives Moses the law, the law, and this was for their benefit. This is to bless them um, so that they would know how to live and how to worship God, and so other nations would see this, and they'd think, What a great God the Israelites have that cares for them and blesses them. And then they too would want to follow God. This was the plan with the law. And so they take off, and as we often do, we don't follow God. And so pretty quickly, they didn't believe God. They didn't think God could do what he said he could do. And so in their disbelief, they wander in the wilderness for 40 years. That's the book of Numbers. Until they come to the banks of the Jordan River, the book of Deuteronomy opens up. This is Moses telling the Israelites as they are going into the promised land, remember God. Remember God. Follow him and obey him. Remember all that he has done for you. That's what's in the beautiful book of Deuteronomy. So they go into the promised land and they settle it, that's the book of Joshua, and then they're ruled by judges, and then they want a king, and so God gives them a king to rule over them, and that's the books of Samuel and Kings and Chronicles, and we see this history of the Israelites throughout this time um, under the leadership of the kings. Many times they follow God, but more times than not they turn away from God and they follow their own path until things get so hard and horrible that they call out to God, God is faithful. He pursues them and brings them back to himself. God wants a relationship with us. In fact, we see that all through the Bible, God pursuing us to be in a relationship with him. Finally, they are so far away from the Lord that God allows the Israelites, to be taken into uh, captivity, into exile in Babylon. But in his faithfulness, they're only there for 70 years. And then he brings them home, back to Jerusalem and Israel, where they restore their worship of God. They reestablish themselves, because from God's people would come the Messiah, Jesus This uh, brings us to the end of the history section in the Bible. Now, those 12 books after that first basic law, nine of them take place before the exile into Babylon. And those last three, Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther, they're during the exile. They're after the exile. Then we have the five beautiful books of poetry. They are beautifully written. They are heart language. This is personal, inner life. This is about worshiping God. Sometimes called the wisdom books. And then we have... The last 17 books, and they are prophecy. Kind of get the uh, structure here. We have 17, 5. Now we have 17 prophecy. And prophets came onto the scene. They were men called by God, anointed by the Holy Spirit, that were speaking God's words to his people. And they came on the scene during the times of the kings. It fits right into that period of history. And they would call the people back to God and remind them, God loves you. He wants to bless you. Obey him and follow him. We have the first five books, the structure goes on, the major prophets, and then we have 12 of the minor prophets. So you see this 5 and this 12 like we have with the history part. And the cool thing is, cool, cool for me because I'm this like little Bible nerd, but the first nine of those minor prophets are before the exile. And the last three are after the exile. Just like the history part. And so that is the Old Testament. It um, closes. There's 400 years of silence until it opens up with the New Testament with the birth of Jesus. God the Son coming to earth as a man and God. His name will be Emmanuel, God with us. And he comes at just the right time to carry out the plan of redemption that was made before creation. And Paul tells us this in Galatians 4.4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of women, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive, we might receive adoption as sons that we might be called the children of God, daughters of the Most High King. Jesus came at just the right time. The New Testament, we see the first four books are the Gospels. They are the story, this good news about Jesus coming to earth and revealing God and then ultimately dying on the cross so that his shed blood would pay the penalty for our sin so that we might be in relationship with God, so that we might have eternal life. And with the resurrection of Jesus, we see that he is Victor, the victor over death, and he brings us life eternal. The next book is the book of Acts, and that gives us the history of the early church, of those first believing uh, Christians as they go out and tell everyone the good news about Jesus. And here's a little preview. We're going to be studying Acts in the spring And then the next 21 books are letters. The first 13 are letters from Paul to these early Christians. And the next 8 are letters from various authors to the believers. And then we come to the last book, Revelation. And Revelation is prophecy. It's apocalyptic language. It gives us the story of the end times. Revelation is the completion of what God begins in Genesis. And that brings us back to Genesis. So let's turn to Genesis 1. And while you're turning there, I want to tell you some things about uh, the book of Genesis. First of all, the author of Genesis is Moses. We said that already. And most scholars and theologians agree on this. Um, Jesus thought that Moses was the author. And we know that from Luke 24, 44. This is Jesus speaking to the disciples after the resurrection. And he says this. These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the Law of Moses and the Prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Did you catch that Law of Moses? We just said that those first five books um, are called the Law, the Law of Moses. Jesus is saying Moses wrote Genesis. And the message of Genesis is this. God desires to bring glory to himself by blessing mankind. By blessing human beings. Okay, and I just want to say here, whenever I say man, mankind, I know some of you younger people, I- I'm talking about human beings. I'm talking about people, okay? But it's, that's just who I, how old I am, I'll be saying mankind and man. I mean people. Just put that in there. So, that is the message of Genesis. God desires to glorify himself by blessing mankind. Um, We see in Genesis, it reveals to us um, the basic principles involved in God's relationship with people. In fact, uh, Dr. Constable says this. In Genesis, we learn that people can enjoy a personal relationship with God and thereby realize their own fulfillment as human beings only through obedience to God and trusting in God. So we have the two basic concepts of Genesis and that is faith and obedience. Maybe you might say those two little words, trust and obey. Do you remember that song that we used to sing? Um, Sometimes we still do. It says, trust and obey for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Those are the two concepts and I like to say it like this, believe God and walk with him. One time Billy Graham said that faith is taking God at his word. It's taking God at his word. It's believing God. It's believing God is who he says he is and believing his word. Believe God and walk with him. That is the path to fulfillment and blessing. And it comes to us by believing God and walking with him. And isn't that what we all want? A fulfilled and abundant life. Believe God and walk with him. And all through the first 11 chapters of Genesis, we're going to see that everyone has a choice to make. They have to either follow God and obey him, or they reject God and they turn away from him. And we see this very clearly in these books. Everyone has that choice that we're going to uh, meet. It's the faithful ...and the unfaithful. And we're going to see the blessings that come to the faithful... ...and we're going to see the um, consequences that come to the unfaithful. What is the purpose of Genesis? To encourage the reader to believe in God and to walk with him. To trust God and obey. Trust God and obey. Originally, the audience would have been the Israelites in the wilderness... ...as they uh, walked with Moses. Um, But today, we are the audience... Genesis means beginning, and the beginnings of everything significant are seen in these first 11 chapters. The beginnings of everything significant. It all starts in Genesis, the creation of the heavens and the earth, the beginning of life, of man and woman, the human race. It's the beginning of marriage and family and languages. It's the beginning of technology and even arts and crafts we're going to see in this. It's the beginning of redemption and the beginning of the concept of covenant, God making an agreement with man. We also see sin come into the world, bringing judgment and corruption and violence and destruction. In chapters 1 through 11 of Genesis, we learn the foundational truths about God. God is the main character in these 11 chapters. This is his true story. This is about God. God makes man and woman in his image, and he gives them purpose. He walks with them. He's created this beautiful world uh, and for, for them to live in. It's paradise, and we see God's great love in this. And after Adam and Eve sin, they uh, disobey God. We see God's plan to restore mankind, to restore human beings to a place of friendship and relationship with him once again. In fact, that's what we see all through the Bible. God Pursuing people. This is foundational stuff. The basic foundational truths. And the exciting part is that we get to see this through stories of people and events. It not just, it's not just a list of boring principles, one after the other. No, it's stories about people and events. That's how we learn these principles. <clears throat> We're going to see four big events in Genesis um, the creation, the fall of man the flood and the Tower of Babel. And we're going to meet people, Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel and Enoch and Methuselah and Noah and his family and all the people leading up to Abraham. This study is dramatic, and it's compelling, and it's captivating. And I'm so glad that you get to be a part of this study this semester. But it's also deep. And it's also controversial. Um, The first 11 chapters of Genesis have more controversy than any other chapters of the Bible. In fact, people that I love and respect don't agree with each other on every point in Genesis. You may not agree with everything that I say. But we're not going to major on the controversy, ladies. We're going to focus on those principles that we learn about God about God and about ourselves and about this world in which he's placed us and how it works. We're going to focus on the principles about God. And we may not understand everything, but we're going to understand a great deal. We are finite, and God is infinite. God tells us his ways are higher than our ways, and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. But we also read in Deuteronomy 29:29, 29, 29, the secret things belong to God, But the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever. That we may do all the words of this law. We're going to know a lot. And it's not so important knowing everything. We read that here. What's important is doing what we know. That's what this verse is saying in Deuteronomy, do what you know. And that's what we're going to be talking about in Bible study these 11, um, 12 weeks, doing what we know. So let's look at these first three verses. We're just going to look at three verses because, as you can see, we're short on time here. And uh, let me read them for us. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. In the beginning, God. With this introductory statement, these first four words we learn, we see there is a God, one God. He's not explained, he just is. God is eternal. God exists. He has no beginning and he has no end. God is infinite. He's infinite. He has no limits and he needs nothing. He doesn't create the world because he needs us or he needs something. He creates all of this out of love. God is uh, has no limits. He needs nothing. And it, we read it pretty clearly on your verse sheet. I've got Moses talking about this in Psalm 90, verse 2. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God, from everlasting to everlasting. And in 1 Timothy, we read this To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. God is perfect. He is complete. He doesn't change. That word is immutable. He doesn't change. He's not evolving. He's not getting better. God is perfect and complete. He's from everlasting to everlasting. The eternal God. Now that is a hard concept for me to grasp. My little brain cannot quite get a handle on what that means. God is eternal. Ladies, this is not a theory of man. This is divine testimony. God wants us to know this. This is divine testimony. This is God reveals to us that which we could not know apart from divine testimony. God exists. One God true and living and with this first verse of divine testimony six common human philosophies are are refuted and i wanted to just tell you those um see what you think about that but um this first verse denies atheism with the doctrine of no god because this says in the beginning god it also denies polytheism that says there are many gods this says in the beginning god one god in the beginning, God created, denies fatalism with the doctrine of chance. The doctrine of chance, just things just happen. It's just kind of random, chance. This says there's a personal God who freely chose to create. In the beginning, God created, denies evolution with its doctrine of infinite becoming. Creation took place when someone outside of nature intervened. That was God. That first verse, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth denies pantheism, which says God and the universe are identical. God is in the tree and the tree is God. This tells us God is distinct from his creation. And then we, um, uh, we have materialism, radical materialism, which tells us the eternity of matter that it's always been. Um, this tells us, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Matter has a supernatural origin. So, if God is before all things, if he is eternal, why would we put anything, even ourselves, before God, the God of the universe? How foolish that is for us to put anything before God who was and is before all things. When we think about that and ponder that, it moves us to worship and to obey God and to follow Him. Let's go on and talk about the um, next thing, next point. God is the creator. God created the heavens and the earth. He created space and He created matter. It's a figure of speech that describes the totality of creation. God created all things. And creation gives evidence to his existence. And we read that in Romans 1:20, on your verse sheet for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse and the they there is all people. We're without excuse because it tells us here that his invisible attributes are clearly seen in creation. Creation gives evidence to the existence of God. And his creation brings him glory. And the beauty of creation speaks to his love for us. The beauty of creation brings him glory and it blesses mankind. It blesses us. I want to tell you a story. I had the great opportunity this summer to go to Miami, Florida with my um, husband and my kids and my grandkids. And I grew up in Florida. And so I got to visit with my mom and my sister and her family. And one of my brothers came into town. And it was a great time. And one thing that made it really special, I got to go snorkeling I love snorkeling. How many of you out there have snorkeled, loved to snorkel? Okay, I, I love it almost more than anything. Um, and I got to snorkel on a reef outside of Key Largo. And you're on this boat, and you're on the ocean, and it's blue, and it's beautiful. And you're um, going along, that's beautiful, and then you dive in, and Under the water is this whole world, so many fish, and they're all colors, and they're all shapes and sizes, so much variety. And here's the coral and the shapes of it, and it's beautiful. And you see the plant life and the sea fans, and as I was snorkeling, it just takes my breath away. And I just praise God and say, you are majestic. You are so powerful and so good to make this so beautiful. You are wonderful. As we begin to praise God when we see his creation, it brings us to that place. I came back and I was telling my friend about snorkeling and how wonderful it was and how beautiful it was. And I loved Florida. And she said, oh, that's good, Deb. But have you seen the sunsets in Fort Worth? Have you looked at the sky? I'm looking down. She's looking up. Have you seen the clouds and the sunsets? And I began to look these last few weeks at the sunsets in Fort Worth. They're beautiful. These big clouds. And you see that orange and it turns to pink and purple until that dark blue. The sunsets have been beautiful. And every night they're different. God blesses us with his creation. I want us to look real quickly here a little bit more. Whoops, I closed it. At verse uh, 2, I want us to look at these words here. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was ho- hovering over the face of the waters. So we see that the Holy Spirit is involved in creation. And in verse 3, we read, God said. So he created by his word. And here's an interesting thought. Jesus is called the Word. And so I want us to turn real quickly to John 1, um, chapter 1. I hope that you've marked it in your Bible so you can get there quickly. And this is what it says. And note how it starts. In the beginning, same as Genesis 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made and if you drop down to verse 14 it says and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory glory as of the only son from the Father full of grace and truth so we see here that um, Jesus God the Son was with God the Father from the very beginning Jesus was involved in creation So in these first verses, we find the concept of the Trinity, the triune God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three persons in one God. Now, the Trinity is hard to explain, so I brought the Christ Chapel doctrine, um, and I'm just going to read what our doctrine of Christ Chapel says. We believe that the Godhead eternally exists in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And that these three are one God, having precisely the same nature, attributes, and perfections, and worthy of precisely the same homage, confidence, and obedience. The Trinity is kind of hard. We see um, it in many verses in Scripture, although the word Trinity is never used. And my favorite Scripture that talks about it is when Jesus tells the disciples as he's about to ascend into heaven, we find it in Matthew 28:19. Jesus says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. The triune God, three persons in one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all involved in creation. And the Hebrew word for God in this first chapter of Genesis is Elohim. Now this is a um, word that... uh, ...is a plural word, but it uses a singular verb. And it's the Hebrew name that emphasizes God's incomparable majesty and power. So some people, because of this plural um, word, Elohim, say that it's the plural of majesty. That his majesty is so great that it's the plural of majesty. I also think maybe it's a little hint of the Trinity here. We see um, a reference to the Trinity in this very beginning... And then on verse uh, 2, we see some really pretty interesting words. And let me say, before we look at that, let me say that the first verse is an introductory statement about the creation of the universe as we know it. It's a summary statement. And after that, starting in verse 3, is going to come the details of how God created the earth. So, verse 1 is not the absolute beginning, um, Eternity has no beginning. This is a break in eternity as the creation of the universe um, happens. And some people, because of this, think, this is one theory, that the creation of angels and the rebellion of Satan and God's judgment against Satan all happened before this beginning of creation of our universe, that it preceded this. That's one theory. um, And... They also will say that the words formless and void always represent chaos and judgment. So maybe this is how things were because of God's judgment against Satan. It's one theory, but um, I kind of think it makes sense because in Job, it talks about uh, the angels singing at creation. Now, I have it on your verse sheet, Job 38. Job has been questioning God, and God... uh, Answers Job with this. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundations? While the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy. So it would seem maybe that the angels were created before the beginning creation of the universe as we know it. And that it was formless and void because of the judgment of Satan. Um, That's a theory. Um, I think the important thing for us to really focus on this morning is... How were things, what was it like when God began to create the heavens and the earth? And so we see that word formless or without form, without shape. And we see the word void, which means empty, shapeless and empty. And there was darkness. You know, this doesn't look good. It's not a pretty picture. In fact, it's kind of a little scary to me sounding when I read it. It seems a little Sad. And then what we read in the rest of chapter one is God taking this, creating the earth and the heavens, and He gives the earth shape, and He fills it with life, and with life abundant, and it's fertile and fruitful. And God creates light. This creation, this work of God, this picture of creation shows us a redeeming God. We seize God's love as he brings beauty, as he brings fruitful life and light out of this dark, shapeless emptiness. And isn't that what God does with our lives? Things are a mess, empty, dark, chaotic, and God comes and he changes that. He redeems us through Jesus Christ and he seals us with the Holy Spirit and he gives us purpose and our lives become fruitful. And we know this is God's work within us because we know what we were like apart from God. And the last thing I want us to look here is for in verse 3. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God is powerful. God spoke a word and it came to be. God's word is powerful. One theologian said the Big Bang was really the voice of God. And I love that. It was really the voice of God. Did he shout it or just a whisper? I cannot even imagine what it was like. But Psalm 33 9 tells us this For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. God's word is powerful. And God's written word is powerful as well. And the last verse I'm going to read here is Hebrews 4.12. It says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. God's word is powerful. It's powerful in our lives today. It changes us. So what are you going to remember today as you walk out of here? You have heard so much. We've talked about so many things. If you can only remember one thing, remember this. God is eternal and he is powerful and he is the creator redeeming God who created you and he loves you. Believe him and walk with him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are you are so awesome. You are so majestic. You are so powerful. You are eternal, Lord, and we can't even grasp what that means. Father, you are so good, and you are so good to us. Father, thank you for your word. I pray that as we begin this journey through Genesis chapters 1 through 11, that you would walk with us, that you would fill us with your truth, that we would be drawn to you, Father, drawn closer to you, loving you more, obeying you, serving you. Father, we love you. I pray a blessing upon each woman in this room and bring us all back next week. In Jesus' name I ask this. Amen.